Dear Father in heaven, thank you for giving me life and for giving all of us life. We thank you, Father, for protection through the night. And thank you, Lord, for also providing the spiritual blessings we need and the temporal blessings to sustain our lives. Blessed be thy holy name, O Lord. Lord, as we fellowship with you now, we pray that you grant to us of your spirit and help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Personally, I have nothing to say to your children that will be a blessing to them. Except as you put words in my mouth, can I say anything that would be of benefit? So I pray, please, Father, put your words in my mouth. Grant us all of your spirit. Impress on our hearts truths that are important for us that you want us to learn to the end that we may reflect the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, December 7 Passing the Torch I charge thee, therefore, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 In this his last letter to Timothy, Paul held up before the younger worker a high ideal, pointing out the duties devolving on him as a minister of Christ. Paul bids him preach the word, not the sayings and customs of men, to be ready to witness for God whenever opportunity should present itself, before large congregations and private circles, by the way and at the fireside, to friends and to enemies, whether in safety or exposed to hardship and peril, reproach and loss. Fearing that Timothy's mild, yielding disposition might lead him to shun an essential part of his work, Paul exhorted him to be faithful in reproving sin and even to rebuke with sharpness those who were guilty of gross evils. Yet he was to do this with all long-suffering and doctrine. He was to reveal the patience and love of Christ. To hate and reprove sin and at the same time to show pity and tenderness for the sinner is a difficult attainment. The more earnest our own efforts to attain to holiness of heart and life, the more acute will be our perception of sin and the more decided our disapproval of any deviation from the right. We must guard against undue severity towards the wrongdoer, but we must also be careful not to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. There is need of showing Christ-like patience and love for the erring one, but there is also danger of showing so great toleration for his error that he will look upon himself as undeserving of reproof. With the growing contempt for God's law, there is an increasing distaste for religion 
an increase of pride, love of pleasure, disobedience to parents and self-indulgence and thoughtful minds everywhere are anxiously inquiring what can be done to correct these alarming evils. The answer is found in Paul's exhortation to Timothy, preach the word. In the Bible are found the only safe principles of action. It is a transcript of the will of God, an expression of divine wisdom. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Passing the Torch. Paul had groomed Timothy to be one who would, like himself, groom a church, take care of the flock, and also win souls for Christ. And in the early part of Timothy's life, he was a protege, he was a child of Paul, being trained. But the time came when Paul handed over to Timothy a duty to do. Writing to Timothy in the first letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, speaking to Timothy, he said, As I sought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So here we see, that the church in Ephesus was handed over to Timothy to handle that church. And in doing this, Paul passed the torch to him. He didn't go with Timothy, even though Timothy was a very faithful companion of Paul. To him, he could sacrifice Timothy for the people at Ephesus. You know, we have already studied that Paul stayed about two years at Ephesus, and when he was leaving, he left Timothy there to handle the church so that he can go and do other works elsewhere. And the work that was handed over to Timothy is one that we need to take note of and how to handle a church and how to do effective missionary work. Like we have seen in the, in the devotion, there were important things that were taking place in the time. You know, if you recall, Ephesus was a place that had a lot of spiritual things going on there. It was there that they brought all their magic books and burnt them. It was there that the seven sons of Siva were, who were exorcists. There were also people there who were possessed with demons, many of them possessed with demons that made them sick. Others were just normally possessed with demons, not necessarily making them sick. And all these people, it was the handkerchief that was from Paul that healed them. Ephesus was a place that the devil had initially had a very strong hold but when paul came there with his people he preached the word of god two years under so much persecution and labor but they did bring the truth to the people and many of them converted into the truth and timothy was left there to handle that church he needed instruction as, as to how to teach especially as he was a young person he needed to know how to do the work and one of the things that paul told him as we have read is that he was not to give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do that is first timothy 1 verse 4. so here is one thing that we must understand there will always be people who will bring questions which paul calls foolish questions he later wrote to timothy in second timothy 2 verse 15 and 16 study to show thyself approved unto god a workman that needed not to be ashamed 
rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And in verse 23 he said, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Also in 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 he told him, But refuse profane and old wife fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So, in Ephesus or anywhere at all, there were always these people who would come with stories, endless genealogists, to ask questions. Three times Paul was telling Timothy, don't give heed to such questions. Shun them. In other words, don't even try to answer them. There are questions that people bring that were just profane questions that will lead to more ungodliness. And there were some who were like fictional, old wives' fables. Just people bringing superstitious stories here and there. Some people would, for example, of one uh, kind of old wife fable would be those stories that are worried with age. Oh, somebody picked money on the floor and then disappeared. Oh, they, they caught him and blood came out. All these kind of things. What do you say about that? Paul told Timothy, shun such old wives' fables. They will only gender strife. You don't have to give everybody an answer for a question that you are asked. He was told in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. That's it. There are some things that you will bring up that will not bring solutions, but they will only bring up more questions. Instead of doing this, he was told, give heed to edifying, godly edifying. And how is that done? Studying the word of God. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So there is something called vain jangling. People who are asking questions and making comments concerning the word of God, thinking that they are teachers, but they are not studying practical things that edify. What do we mean by practical things that edify? Teaching the commandments of God practical things to tell us how to live a holy life. There are some people who would not concern themselves as to how to live a holy life, but will go into areas of the scriptures or things in life to talk about abstract things that will not even benefit their spirituality. They are just curious about things that will not help them to grow spiritually. Oh, who did Cain marry? And such like questions that people ask, endless genealogies, that will not benefit us to grow spiritually. These questions Timothy was told to avoid, but rather to give himself to the studying of the word of God that he himself would grow and become more efficient in the preaching of the word and leading other people into the truth. Another thing that Timothy was told was that he was to live a life of purity. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 to 22, he was told, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 
But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. As, it, as a minister, Timothy was instructed to, lead, to do this to ensure that he lives a pure life because the Bible says, Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Those who are in this work of the ministry will always have temptations that assail them in various forms. And one of them is the temptation to impurity, to live an impure life, the temptation to get into fornication and um, go against the seventh commandment that in various ways that can be done. But Paul exhorted Timothy, please ensure that you live a pure life because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, of course. And if the Spirit of God must dwell in a preacher, he must take care of his body. And the Bible teaches, like Paul has said, that if we get into this sexual sin, that we sin against our body and the temple of the Lord is our body and the Holy Spirit will not be able to dwell in us. And so, this is something we must learn today, that if we must be children of God, we must flee youthful lusts. And then Timothy was also told to remind the people of the things that they have heard before, the teachings that they had heard. Today, just as it was in Timothy's day, the world is filled with iniquity. Some people think that it will require some marvelous thing to change people. But the Bible teaches us in the book of 1 Corinthians, the way that God has ordained that there should be a conversion in the world. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that's what we read in our devotion in Conflict and Courage, page 347, paragraph 5. With a growing contempt for God's law, there is an increasing distaste for religion, an increase of pride, love of pleasure, disobedience to parents, and self-indulgence, and thoughtful minds everywhere are anxiously inquiring what can be done to correct these alarming evils. The answer is found in Paul's exhortation to Timothy, preach the word. In the Bible are found the only safe principles of action. It is a transcript of the will of God, an expression of the divine wisdom end of quote again like i read in first corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 what is it the foolishness of preaching is what is used to save them that believe as we see a contempt for god's law love of pleasure and all of that happening around us do not be tempted to think that you need to do something out of the ordinary to bring people into the truth today various methods are being invented and people are thinking, oh, we are now wiser. We have other means we can use to bring people into the knowledge of the truth. So they act movies. They do theatrical performances. They do all kinds of things in the church, thinking that these things will be used to save people. But no, the Bible says it is the foolishness of preaching that the Lord has ordained to save sinners. And like we read now, Paul told Timothy, as you see these things, don't think that you need to go into some theatrical performance to act and make the people learn the truth. That is not what will help them. You are only gendering more problems. You are going to increase their love for pleasure. 
when you do that. Do not think that you need to copy the ways of the world and the music of the world and the dress of the world and they bring in a new system of worship in order to bring about a reformation or a change in the people. The answer is this, preach the word. It has pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them who are sinners, to make them believers. And Timothy was to be careful to shun old wives' fables. Do you know what old wives' fable is? The Greek word that's translated as old wives' fables means fiction. And Timothy was told to shun that, to shun fictional things. Whether it is in the form of stories or in the form of theatrical performances, he was told, shun old wives' fables. Those things are not good. The preaching of the word of God is what will bring about the transformation of people in the church. As a leader in the church, people are tempted to think that we need to do a new model of things. We need to change the system. And it's not just to preach the word. We need to do some choreography. We need to do some drama, some theatrical performances. But no, these things are not needed in God's house. The preaching of the word, faithfully preaching the word of God, is what will do the work in transforming the hearts of men. And I do not doubt the fact that truly there are things that have been acted theatrical performances that have been done that has actually touched people's lives i'm not doubting that but it doesn't change the fact that these things are not what god ordained the choreography the drama the movies many times while some are being converted evil seeds are being sown in the heart when these movies are acted, whether I mean godly movies now, so-called godly movies, a lot of things are slipped in there that should have been left to the imagination of men. Today, many people think, oh, three wise men. Is it not because we watch the movies of Jesus of Nazareth and even apart from that, of course, also in the songs, that makes us think that there were only three wise men that came to meet Jesus? And that's not true. The Bible says wise men from the East. There were many. There were more than three, most likely more than three but these things are sown in the mind you act you see some movies of moses david and a lot of things are slipped in there that are so far from the truth they bear false witness and worst of all some people act movies with god in it when we are told not to make images of god not to talk of somebody acting like god what i say may sound very outlandish but consider it if we are not to make images of God, then should you give somebody a representation of a human being acting like God? Is that not somebody? Is that not already an image of God? It is when it is acted. And when you check the details of many of these movies, that Jesus of Nazareth or whatever, you see a lot of things that the Bible did not say that is slipping there, and it's not true. It is the preaching of the word of God that brings about the transformation of the soul. And it is not the, the various event, inventions that we are bringing in today, especially the theatrical performances done in the church or acted out and as movies and DVDs for us to watch. None of these things are the ordained methods that the Lord has brought, but it is the foolishness of preaching. And that is why Timothy was told, preach the word. Another work that Timothy was to do was to strike a balance between speaking against evil and being loving. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 1, Paul, Paul told him, Rebuke not an elder, 
but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. And in verse 17 he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith that thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treaded out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. But in verse 19 he says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. In doing this, he would have um, Timothy would give every evidence that he's not out to get anyone and he's giving the right impression on the minds of the elders. He must be respectful. Even though he was a young person, a minister, which being a minister, he's above the people, but he's not to forget that he's still a young person. And therefore, he's to ensure that when he's talking to the elders, he was told, entreat them as a father, rebuke not an elder. And even if you want to listen to an accusation against an elder, there must be witnesses there. You must give them that respect. That was what he was told. But then, as we read, Conflict and Courage, page 347, paragraph 3, fearing that Timothy's mild yielding disposition might lead him to shun an essential part of his work, Paul exhorted him to be faithful in reproving sin, to rebuke with sharpness those who were guilty of gross evils. Yet he was to do this with all long-suffering and doctrine. He was to reveal the patience and love of Christ. So, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 20, there Paul told him, Them that sin, rebuke before all. That's what he told him, that others also may fear. So, this was something important for Timothy to do. And it's not a pleasant work to rebuke people. But then he was to do it with all long-suffering and doctrine. That is, patience. And there should be love in it. Reading Acts of the Apostles, the book, Acts of the Apostles, from the Spirit of Prophecy, page 504, we are told, Ministers of the Gospel sometimes do great harm by allowing their forbearance towards the erring to degenerate into toleration of sins and even participation in them. Thus, they are led to excuse and palliate that which God condemns. And after a time, they become so blinded as to commend the very ones whom God commands them to reprove. He who has blunted his spiritual perceptions by sinful leniency towards those whom God condemns will ere long commit a greater sin by severity and harshness towards those whom God approves. By the pride of human wisdom, by contempt for the influence of the Holy Spirit, and by disrelish for the truths of God's word, Many who profess to be Christians and who feel competent to teach others will be led to turn away from the requirements of God. Paul declared to Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. End of quote. So here, you see, some people may look at people who are leaders and not understand the responsibility. One thing that a leader is never to do is to allow sin to foster in the church. And in order to 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 correct this, sometimes they may be seen as being harsh. But here it is that the the instruction given to, at least it was in Titus actually, that it was written by Paul to Titus that he should rebuke them sharply. In Titus 1 verse 13 he says, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And Paul told Timothy, them that sin rebuke before all. 
So these things were very important to do. It is a very fearful thing to rise up. Sometimes our flesh cringes and recoils from the responsibility of correcting that which is wrong. So we are in church and someone says something that is wrong or in a platform and somebody says something that is clearly wrong. What do you do? Do you allow the, 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 the wrong sentiments to remain there in the minds of the people, especially when you are a leader? No. With all long suffering and doctrine, the impression is to be corrected. Like we read. And that is why some people need to be cut some slack. It is never an easy thing. Reading Conflict and Courage, page 347, paragraph 4, it says, To hate and reprove sin, and at the same time, to show pity and tenderness for the sinner, is a difficult attainment. The more earnest our own efforts to attain to holiness of heart and life, the more acute will be our perception of sin, and the more decided our disapproval of any deviation from right. End of quote. Some people don't even see these deviations. And when you are rebuking them, they look at it like, this is just a small matter. Why are you just cringing? Why are you troubling yourself over this issue so much? But the fact is that if you are coming closer to Christ, you will understand. He says the more earnest our efforts to become holy, you would see it. The more acute will be your perception of sin and the more decided our disapproval of any deviation from right. We must guard against undue severity towards the wrongdoer, but we must also be careful not to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Here is something that we should pray for. There is the danger of losing sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin because you are trying not to be harsh, because you are trying to be kind, you are trying to avoid being unduly severe. But the danger in it is that you will come to the position where you now start to see evil as good and good as evil. And like we read now in Acts of the Apostles, page 504, paragraph 1, it says, So they become so blinded as to commend the very ones whom God commands them to reprove. And here this says, He who has blunted his spiritual perceptions by sinful leniency towards those whom God condemns will ere long commit a greater sin by severity and harshness towards those whom God approves. End of quote. What does this mean? So you are trying to be kind. So you become lenient towards sin. That's a small sin you've just done. You saw evil, but because you want to answer good boy, good man, you want to be the one that people love, and you chose to keep quiet about it. Now, in keeping quiet, you've done something wrong. But you know you are going to do something that is worse later. And what is that? That harshness that you were avoiding towards that evil because you wanted to look good. You will now be harsh towards those who God approves eventually. Because you who didn't rebuke the evil, when you now see someone else who is doing that work, you would feel either condemned or you will say that person is being harsh and you will become harsh towards the person yourself. So it is a very fine thing that we must learn. We must not come to that position where we do not see anymore the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But while we are trying to do that, we should still have the forbearance and patience of Christ towards the sinner. And when expressing or rebuking the sin, we must try as much as possible to learn. Like we read here, it is a difficult thing, but we must learn how to do it in a way that will not seem like we are being harsh or 
avoid giving the impression that sin is not sin because it will affect you. To me, I think that one is even worse where you are becoming lenient and eventually you yourself are now affected by the sin and you now become someone who is harsh towards God's people. And also, Timothy was given the work to ordain ministers. In 1 Timothy 5, reading from verse 21, he was told, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. What does that mean, lay hands suddenly? That is, don't give people responsibilities when they are still novices. In fact, in chapter 3, Reading from verse 1, he was told about ordaining bishops and what their characters are to be. But in verse 5, verse 4, he says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now verse 6 says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Hear this very well. The problem with the novice is not that he doesn't know the word of God. That's not the problem. You may know the word of God. It may be a new person in the church, a new person in the faith, and that rightly divides the word of truth. That is not enough reason to give them a responsibility. What Paul was guarding against is not that the person will teach error, but rather, he says, not a novice, lest he becomes proud. Paul is clear. He doesn't say because he doesn't know the truth. He says rather, but lest he be lifted up with pride and he falls into the condemnation of the devil and this is something we should be careful to take note of because it does affect people and they rise up in pride i've seen people lose their way because of it novices come into a ministry and then they give them all these portfolios and they start to exercise authority and teach and do this and do that eventually they are lost mostly young people and then they start not even they start to either teach error or they become overbearing proud and intolerant and they cannot be corrected anymore because they were hands were laid on them suddenly and they were novices this is something that paul told timothy to take note of reading testimonies volume 1 page 442 paragraph 1 it says the prosperity of the cause of god depends much upon the ministers who labor in the gospel field those who teach the truth should be devotional self-sacrificing godly men who understand their business and go about doing good because they know that god has called them to the work men who feel the worth of souls and will bear burdens and responsibilities a thorough workman is known by the perfection of his work end of quote so one thing that we saw concerning the ordaining of ministers that Paul told Timothy is that they should be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. To buttress this point, I'm reading page 441, paragraph 2 of Testimonies, volume 1. It says, I was shown that some men mistake their calling. They think that if a man cannot labor with his hands, or if he is not a bus- of a business character, he will make a minister. Many make a great mistake here. A man who has no business tact may make a minister, but he will lack qualifications that every minister must possess in order to deal wisely in the church and build up the cause. But when a minister is good in the pulpit, and like Elder Hall, fails in management, he should never go out alone. Another should go with him to supply his lack and manage for him. 
and although it may be humiliating, he should give heed to the judgment and counsel of this companion as a blind man follows one who has sight. By so doing, he will escape many dangers that would prove fatal to him were he left alone. End of quote. So what I'm what I'm trying to point out here is today, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, people think that the work of the ministry is for people who don't have any other work. Oh, I've tried this thing in life; it didn't work for me. A business did not work. That did not work. I didn't go to school. Then, then now become a pastor. Most times, I see it happen. Instead of the best talents being secured for this prestigious and high position of being a minister, the most intelligence is needed, and people are needed. People who have the best minds are needed for this work, and people who are humble and consecrated to the work of God and self-distrustful are needed for this work. But rather, we just look for people who have nothing to do and tell them, "Oh." Since you did, this didn't work for you, that didn't work for you, why don't you try the ministry? This is not supposed to be the case. Rather, we are to consecrate ourselves to the work and bring the best talents into the work of the ministry. Going on in page 442, paragraph 3, it says, The success of this cause does not depend upon our having a large number of ministers, but it is of the highest importance that those who do labor in connection with the cause of God should be men who really feel the burden and sacredness of the work to which he has called them. A few self-sacrificing godly men, small in their own estimation, can do a greater amount of good than a much larger number if a part of these are unqualified for the work, yet self-confident and boastful of their own talents. A number of these in the field who would better feel some calling at home would make it necessary that nearly all the time of the faithful ministers be spent in following after them to correct their wrong influence. The future usefulness of young preachers depends much upon the manner in which they enter upon their labors. Brethren who have the cause of God at heart are so anxious to see the truth advance that they are in danger of doing too much for ministers who have not been proved by helping them liberally to means and giving them influence. Those who enter the gospel field should be left to earn themselves a reputation, even if it must be through trials and privations. They should first give full proof of their ministry." End of quote. So here we are told clearly that those who must enter into the work of the ministry should not think that it is a work for unqualified, unconsecrated people. It's not just to get plenty of ministers all over the place, even if they are just few ministers, but they are qualified, consecrated to the work. That is what God needs. Sometimes ministers may just stay in their house, morning till evening, sleep. They are not doing so much work, whereas there is so much work to do. Visiting houses, studying with people in the environment, but not many ministers see that as their work today. It's more administrative these days. But the work of a minister should have been what Paul was doing, going from house to house. He is to be the champion of the evangelistic effort. He is to be the one that will go and study with people, not just preaching from the pulpit, but meeting people where they are in their homes, in their business places, in their offices. Go and study, carry the Bible and preach to the people out of the church and in the church. But alas, that's not how it is done today. But there needs to be a reformation in these things, I believe. And if the torch must be passed to us today, we must learn from the labor of Paul and from the works that he told Timothy to do and how to go about the work so that we can be effective pastors, effective missionaries for the Lord. As we come closer and closer to the end of time, we see the necessity of us being more consecrated, more hardworking, and more 
qualified for this work and it is still the same qualification that is needed we must be ready to rebuke to reprove to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine and we must pray to the lord to give us the grace to know how to merge that love and patience with the rebuke that is necessary to be given so that we do not through the sinful leniency become harsh towards those whom god who are god's people and will have committed a greater sin may the lord give us grace that these words heard now will help us to know how to conduct ourselves in the work of the ministry anywhere we find ourselves amen let us pray thank you dear lord for these words you have heard perhaps there are people out there who ministers themselves or even we ourselves is of benefit to us to know how to do the work of the lord lord teach us more than what i have just said now and i pray that you would help us to be self-distrustful consecrated to you and use our talents for the work of the gospel i pray father that there are the ministers out there many of them who are in need of help i commit them unto your care and I pray that you give them grace not to fall into that sinful leniency and also grace not to become um, harsh towards the sinner. But teach us, O oh Lord, how to have that balance, though difficult it may be, but yet it is possible to have the balance of not having undue severity, but yet rebuking sin, even sharply. Do this for us, O oh Lord, and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Amen.